Welcome to the Bethel World Outreach Church Podcast. It's our prayer that wherever you are in life, today's message will help you draw closer in your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. I was actually working on something else for this week, and then I attended the men's uh, Bible study. We call it the cave that meets every Friday night at 730. And when I got there, they were actually discussing the church. In other words, what should be our attitude towards the church? Uh, Pastor P was leading that discussion. And he was using some big words there. He was talking about ecclesiology and soteriology and how your, your soteriology affects your ecclesiology. And he was being very impressive. Okay, those are big words that just mean your, your, your understanding of salvation and your understanding of the church, how they impact one another. But the discussion was, 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 was one that was necessary, and, the, and I participated in it. And the more I participated in it, the more passionate I became about the discussion. And in the process, I, f- I felt the Lord was saying, you know what, this is probably what you need to deal with this morning. So we're going to talk about ecclesiology, okay? We're going to talk about the church, and in particular, what our attitude should be towards the church, because something sinister is happening. I have observed, and perhaps many of you have, that more and more God's people are thinking less and less of the church. The importance of the gathering of believers like we're doing today, of participating in the life of the body of Christ, the church, serving and giving and, and, and your, your time, your talents, your treasure to the health and the life and the prosperity of the church is becoming less and less common. And more and more, we're seeing an attitude that says, you know, I don't really need to gather together on Sunday morning when the body of Christ comes together. I can really have my own personal relationship with the Lord. That gathering with believers, participating in the life of the local church is more and more being seen as optional unnecessary. If you have time, you can do it, but not really essential to God's plan for me as an individual and God's plan for the ages. And so it's common to hear people now more and more bad-mouthing the church, criticizing the church, not wanting to deal with the church, choosing to stay at home on Sundays, the Lord's Day, when they could come simply because in their mind, ah, it's not that important, okay? You know, I, I, I heard someone say recently, uh, I don't owe anybody any explanation for how I live my life. Well, and this is a Christian. How can you be a Christian and part of the body of Christ and say you don't owe anybody any explanation for how you live, as though you can have your own relationship with the Lord independent of your relationship with his body. As though you can have a relationship with the head and have nothing to do with the body. Okay, I'm gonna have a relationship with with Obi. All I wanna talk to is your head. And and I don't wanna deal with any any of the, the rest of you. It's not possible. It's not possible. How can the I say, I owe no explanation 
to the ear. I owe no explanation to the mouth. The mouth should not get into my business. After all, I'm the eye. And we were just going to be in the same body, but not feel responsible or accountable to one another. That's not possible. That's not possible. In fact, the scripture says one of the, the, the evidences that you have passed from death to life, that you are saved, is that you will love the body. You will love one another. You will love the church. And so when you have the attitude that I can do what I want to do and nobody has any business being in my business, you can have that attitude out there, but you cannot be in the church, part of the body of Christ, and have that attitude. We're supposed to exhort one another. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to reprove one another. We're supposed to correct one another. We're supposed to build up one another. We cannot do that if the attitude is, you got no business talking to me about my business. Hmm? That, you know, I, I, I heard someone, well, I didn't hear, I saw it on Facebook. This person said, well, you know, I just like to be a part of a large church where I can go, praise my God, and afterwards leave. That way nobody gets into my business. And so the idea of church is, okay, I'm going to have a relationship with God. That's what I want. I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus. But the rest of you, excuse my French, you can go to hell. I have to be raw. Because, because that's the attitude. But is that the attitude of Christ? Does that attitude please God? Is that how we were designed to be? Is God's purpose going to be fulfilled with that kind of attitude? Well, let me share with you a few scriptures to help us understand what is happening. Jesus was speaking, and Jesus was talking about the last days. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9 to 13, he gives us some of the things to look for. So let's turn to Matthew 24, and we're going to read from verse 9 to verse 13. Let's read. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and will what? Kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Last day, right? Persecution. Next verse. And then many will be offended. Who will be offended? Those people who are being persecuted. Okay? That is the believers are going to start to be offended by what's happening and will do what? betray one another and will start to hate one another. When you start saying, I don't want to deal with the other members of the body of Christ, I just want to have my own relationship with God, how many of you know that that is a manifestation of hatred? That, that is not an expression of love. That is an expression of hatred. Okay, you may not hate me enough to kill me, but you hate me enough not to want to deal with me. Okay? It's not full-blown hatred, but it is a manifestation of hatred. Okay, next verse. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. We know that's happening, right? Everywhere you turn, you got these false prophets deceiving many. You ask, how is it happening? Well, Jesus warned in the last days, one of the things that you'll begin to see is the increase of false prophets and how they will start to impact 
the body of Christ. So you need to be careful what you're listening to because there are men of false prophets who are deceiving many. Right? Next verse. And, and this is what I want you to see, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Aren't we living in a day when we can truly say lawlessness is abounding? Come on. Things that you never thought would be legal, now is legal. Lawlessness, no more respect for God's word, no more respect for God's laws, no more respect for God's principles. Outside and even inside the church, we're free, we feel that we should be free to just live as we please and nobody needs to hold anybody else accountable. It's happening, but with the increase of lawlessness, Jesus said, the love of many, the love of many, not a few, the love of many will start to grow cold. And when the love of many start to grow cold, what's gonna happen? You will see that those whose love is diminishing for Christ will also discover their love for the church diminishing and vice versa. The more I, the less I love the church, the less I love Christ. Why? Because the church is his body and the church is his bride. And we're gonna talk about the church as the bride of Christ today. Lord willing, maybe next week we'll look at the church as the body of Christ. But Jesus warned, and we need to be mindful because this is sinister, this is the work of the enemy. This attitude towards the church, this ap apathy towards this church, this disrespect that is being shown towards the church, this withdrawal from the church, this treating the church as insignificant, no longer necessary, that I can have my own relationship with Christ and I really don't need the church in order to do what God has called me to do and be what God has called me to be. Ladies and gentlemen, believe me, that is not a doctrine of the Holy Ghost. That is a doctrine of the devil. And Jesus warned that it would begin to happen more and more in the last days. Nowadays, people figure I can just stay home and I can just watch and listen to my favorite preacher on Sunday or whatever I don't need to gather together with the believers for worship. I don't need to gather together with the believers for service. I don't need to gather together with other believers for prayer. I don't need to gather together with other believers for discipleship. One person actually said, you know what, even when I do go to church, I really only quote unquote go to church for the worship. Because the preacher has, I've heard all the sermons. I mean, I already know what they're saying. So I don't really need to hear the preacher. I just come to praise and worship God. In fact, that's the only reason I go to church. Well, first of all, that statement expresses a gross misunderstanding of what the church is. I know we use that language, but languages, language has meaning and significance. And the language we use can impact the way we think. And unfortunately, we, when we speak of the church, we speak of the church as a place we go to. So this morning at 16227 Bachelors Forest Road, you've come to church. But that is biblically inaccurate. We don't come to church. The church is not a place. We are the church. And what happens on Sunday on the Lord's Day is that the church gathers. All right? 
And so right now, we are the church, each of us members particular, and we are what? Gathering. And I want you to know that this gathering of the church on a weekly basis is critical to God's plan and purpose for the church. And if we, we, if we neglect this gathering and we make it insignificant, the enemy will have an opportunity to hinder the plan and purpose of God for you individually and for the church and for the world. Because the church is critical to God's plan. In fact, we're not going to go deep into this today, but in fact, I submit to you that the reason God even created the universe and then created man in his image was so that he could create the church, so that the church can be an eternal companion for Jesus. You didn't hear me. God created the church so that the church can be the eternal companion for the Son. What you see taking place in the Garden of Eden was simply uh, God's way of revealing to us the reason for which he created us and his plan. And just like God created Adam and then said it's not good for Adam to be alone and then created Eve in the image of Adam so that he could then take Eve and she could become the companion of Adam in the same way spiritually God looked at the son and said it's not good for the son to be alone, so I am going to create a help beat for the son. And that help beat is who we're going to look at today, and, but that help beat is the church, which is the bride of Christ. And just like he took Eve out of Adam, so that Eve is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, so God put Jesus to sleep and then took the church out of Christ so that the church is made in the image of the Son so that the church can be his eternal companion. The church had to come out of him and be made in his image in order to be able to fulfill that purpose because he couldn't be joined to anything that is not in his class. Oh, you got to hear me. Before he created Eve, there were monkeys and elephants and apes and all kinds of creatures. But he could not give any of them to his son because they were not in his class. So he had to create Eve out of Adam so that Eve and Adam would be in the same class and can be joined together as one. Are you listening to me? These are, these are mysteries. In Ephesians 5, Paul said this is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So the church was brought out of Jesus. The church is now bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh for this purpose, so that the church can be his eternal companion. Do you know that the church is the bride of Christ? That church that you badmouth, that church that you do nothing but criticize, that church that you refuse to get involved with, that church that you say, hey, I don't have to go there, I don't have to participate in the life of the church, that church that you are dissing 
and bad-mouthing and rejecting and feeling more and more as being unnecessary is in fact the bride of Christ chosen by him to be his eternal companion? Do you know that that church is bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh? Do you know that that church is his bride? Well, unless you think I'm just speaking, let's look at the scriptures. So go to the book of Revelation, chapter, chapter 19. And we're going to see what the Bible describes as the marriage supper of the Lamb, starting at verse 7. Are you ready? Let's read together. Now, this is a picture in heaven. John is having a, a revelation. God is showing him what is to come. Let's read. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. His wife, his who? His wife. Do you know who his wife is? Do I have to prove that or you know who I'm talking about? His wife, the church, has made herself ready. Next verse. And to her, the church, his wife, was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. Yesterday we had a wedding here at the church. And the bride showed up. Well, the groom showed up first. And he was well dressed. But when the bride showed up, it made the groom look like he had... <laughs> She was decked from head to toe in white fine linen with her veil. Looked so beautiful. As she went to meet her husband-to-be, and together we witnessed the two exchanging vows and becoming one. And then at the end of the service, you should see how Eugene, the groom, marched out so proudly with his bride Olive, dressed beautifully and decked without spot and wrinkle in white. And you could tell how proud Eugene was because the bride made herself ready for that wedding. Oh, I wasn't there, but I imagine she spent a lot of hours at the beauty, beauty saloon. I, I can imagine a lot of time working on her hair, a lot of time working on her face, a lot of time working on her nails. I mean, a lot of time going to, to the bridal shop, to store, to choose the right dress. And she looked at this one and she looked at that one. But she invested a lot of her time and energy because she was going to be married to this man and she wanted him to be proud of her. She wanted to bring him glory as they walked out together. And so she made herself ready. And so the Bible says here that the church is dressed with linen clean and bright for the fine linen is what? The righteous acts of the Saints. So the good works that we are doing right now and the effort we're making right now to live holy to walk in purity, to love one another, to minister to one another, to avoid anything that would bring shame to the church. Because anything that brings shame to the church would bring shame to the groom. What are we doing? We're decking ourselves, getting ready and prepared for the wedding that is to come.
Say hallelujah. So the church is the bride of Christ. Go to verse 9. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the what? Marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So I want you to see, John is seeing the future, and he's seeing what history is headed towards. Everything that God is doing right now on earth is to accomplish that purpose. Preparation is being made for this wedding that is to happen for this great supper called the marriage supper of the Lamb when the Son and the church will become officially husband and wife. That's the destiny God has planned for the church. And this is the thing God has been working on from the beginning of creation. In fact, it started in eternity and creation was accomplished to accomplish it. Saul, Saul, then why are you persecuting me? When you touch the church, you're touching him. Your attitude towards the church is your attitude towards him. When you resist or persecute or badmouth the church, you are badmouthing him. That's the negative side. But the positive side is when you do good to the church, when you support the church, serve the church, seek to build up the church, minister to the church, help the church to become healthy, you are ministering to him. Let me, let me bring this a little bit closer, make it a little bit clearer. What you have here with the marriage supper of the Lamb is really a picture of the Jewish tradition that existed then, how marriages took place. Amen? In fact, this is Olive's father, right? Are you, are you Olive's father? No, you look just like Olive's father. You came together? Oh, you look like the, like the, like the father of the, of the bride. All right? So, so, in the Jewish tradition, which again, a lot of things that you find that are established in culture, God created that to illustrate and to help us understand spiritual truths. So this is how it was done. I don't know if it's still done that way, but back then, this is how it was done. If a person, and many of us who are from Africa should be able to relate to this. Before a marriage took place, usually the groom-to-be and the parents of the groom will identify a young lady who they like and who they would want to be the wife of their son, the mother of their grandchildren. And they, the, the groom and the father, they would, they would talk and they would have an agreement. And yeah, this is the one I want. Hmm? The next thing now is for the parents of the groom to go and meet the parents of the bride-to-be. And there is a conversation 
there is an agreement between the two. My son has chosen your daughter. Will your daughter be willing to, to accept him? And, and if there's an agreement, that agreement is sealed with a diary. A bride price. Okay, my daughter is, is she has a PhD or uh -huh, she went to school. <laughs> you know, she is healthy, she's strong, all of that. I spent a lot of money getting her ready. So what are you willing to give? to show how much you appreciate and value this girl that you want. And so some of you had to go borrow and, and, and for some of you, you had, to, you had to delay the wedding for I don't know how many years because you had to accumulate, all right? But at some point, hopefully, you accumulated enough and you bring it and then the, the bride's family will accept that. Now in that culture, that's called the betrothal. Uh, we call it engagement, but engagement in the Western society, it doesn't come to that level because engagement is usually between you and the girl. So I like you, I take you for lunch, I kind of surprise you, you know, will you marry me? Yes, and you put the ring on, okay? And then after two years, I changed my mind, give me back my ring. <laughs> That's, that's the, that's, that happens because the family usually isn't involved. There's no exchange of real money, you know. So it's easy to say, give me back my ring. But when you have work, work and have to, to sweat to bring the diary, it's not easy to change your mind. <laughs> anyway, but it's, once they did the betrothal, for all practical purposes, the two were married. The only thing that hadn't happened was the marriage had not been consummated. Okay, so the groom will pay the diary and then he'll go back home and he goes back home to prepare a place to get the, the home ready where he will bring his bride. And at an appointed time, he is gonna come back in order to get his bride that he has already quote unquote purchased in a good sense, paid for, he's gonna get his bride and do what? Bring her back to his house. And there they will live together as husband and wife, hopefully forever. Hmm? So in the, in the Jewish culture, the diary is paid, the, 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 the groom then goes back to his house, he prepares for the home, and at the right time, the, the bride to be in her, the bride and her maidens know he's coming. And so they are ready. She's already been getting ready for this. And so he comes and there's a procession. He is coming with his friends and they're going through the streets. They're singing. It's a happy occasion as he comes to get his bride. He picks up his bride. Her maidens join the procession and together singing and dancing, celebrating to go back to the house that he has prepared for her. And the whole thing is climaxed with a huge feast, a supper that can last sometimes for a whole week. That's the culmination of the wedding. Now, the church is the bride of Christ. He and the Father looked and together they say, I'm choosing the church. I don't know what he saw in us because we had a lot of spots and a lot of wrinkles 
and a lot of things that cost, or should have cost us, and nah, but he didn't do that. The Bible says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so he looked and said, Father, Father say, uh-huh, choose the church. Okay, but then you gotta pay a diary. What is the price that you're gonna pay for the right to be married to the church? The price was the blood. And so on Calvary, Jesus wasn't just dying, Jesus was paying the bride price. Jesus was literally paying the price required to have the legal right to be joined to the church forever and to be able to call the church his bride. So the diary had been paid. So the Bible says you have been bought with a price. So legally, we are betrothed to Christ. We are his, we belong to him. He's paid the price, he's paid the diary. It's understood, we don't belong. Nobody else can come and get us. We have been taken, we have been possessed. Legally, we are his. And because he chose us, now what's left? Well, he said, I'm gonna go now and prepare a place. Having died and having purchased and paid the bride price, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for who? You. Why? I'm preparing a place because I'm coming back to get you and to bring you to that place so that where I am, you may be also. And so the next phase in this marriage ceremony is for the groom to come and get the bride and take her back to where he is. And so the Bible says the trump will sound. You didn't hear me. I said the trump will sound. The dead in Christ will rise. The archangel will shout. It's going to be a heavenly procession. It's going to be a glorious celebration. We call it the rapture. But the rapture is really the coming of the bridegroom to get his bride because the place has been made ready and the bride has made herself ready. And so he comes now and he gets the church, his bride, and the Bible says he's going to sweep her up in his arm. And it's going to be a glorious procession, but he's going to bring her back to be where he is forever. And all of that is going to climax with this marriage supper. That is the plan he has for the church. Wow. Wow. Listen to me, here's the problem we're having. Because we don't understand that God is actually dealing with the church, that is with us, gathered together, and his purpose is toward the church. We tend to focus on his purpose for us individually, as though that purpose for us individually is separate and distinct from the church. Everything God has planned for you and me individually is because we are included in the plan he has for the church. The truth is, it's the plan for the church that causes him to have a plan for us.
So if we reject his plan for the church, we will never discover his plan for us. The Bible says when Jesus was resurrected in Ephesians chapter 1, God gave Jesus to the church to be the head. And the church is his body. And each of us are only members in the church. We're important because we are in the church, which is his body. You separate yourself from the church and you lose your significance altogether. He's not really your head. He's the head of the church. But because you're in the church, he becomes your head. Are you hearing me? Say to your neighbor, the church is his bride, is his wife. Now, think about it. I have a wife. She, she was here the last service. And I love her. Now, I love all of you. I really do. But, may I be honest with you? The love I have for her is at another level. Oh. Now, you can't get angry with me because my love for her is special. And I have a right to love her in a way that is special, separate, greater than my love for all of y'all. Where do I get this right from? I get it from Jesus. So let me show you in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to show you Jesus' attitude towards the church. Are you still here? Am I putting you to sleep? Good. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Okay, how many of you here are husbands? Raise your hand, don't be, don't, come on, be proud, be bold, okay. You're husbands, right? Now, we're about to read a passage, and in this passage, he's talking to husbands, but then at the end, he says, this is a mystery, I'm talking about Christ in the church. And what he's doing here in, in Ephesians chapter five, he's saying, listen, you husbands, if you really, 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 really wanna know how to love your wife, you don't need to read a book. You don't need to watch a movie. You don't really have to go to school. If you really, 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 really want to know how to love your wife, look at how Jesus loves the church. Look at how Jesus loves the church. Learn from Jesus' example how to treat your wife. Hmm? So now, what we have here on display it's the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. We're going to see what Jesus feels concerning the church. Now, keep in mind, this is a church that you're bad-mouthing. Oh. This is the woman you are criticizing. This is the person you are you're not interested in. You don't want to get involved with because she got too many faults. That's your attitude. But we're going to see his attitude towards that same woman who you don't want to have anything to do with. Hmm? Let me say it now. You cannot disrespect my wife. You cannot treat her as unnecessary, insignificant. You cannot want, not want to deal with her but then you want to have a close 
relationship with me. It won't happen. I love her too much. She's too special. You can't do that. But yet there are many, many, many people who think they can have a close relationship with Jesus, so they boast about their relationship with Jesus and at the same time talk about their dislike of the church. They boast about how close they are to Jesus, how much they love Jesus, but the church people are also so hypocrites. So, so gossip us. That all they want your money. So you don't want to have anything to do with the bride of Christ, and yet you think he is pleased and will be happy with you having a relationship with him that dismisses his bride, unless he doesn't love the church. Unless that's not who he's planning to spend eternity with and share his glory with. It's not possible. So let's see what Jesus' attitude is towards the church. Then let's, let's ask ourselves, is that my attitude towards the bride? Now, let me say this. Jesus knows the church is not perfect. That doesn't stop him from loving it. I think it was um, um, Spurgeon who was supposed to consider the prince of all preachers, Charles Spurgeon, who said, even, even if the church is a whore, I'm not saying the church is a whore, but even if the church is a whore, it is his whore. And how you treat her is how you treat him. If you persecute her, you're persecuting me. If you love her and honor her and respect her, you're honoring and respecting me. Now let's see Jesus' attitude. Are we ready? And husbands, by the way, even though this is not a, a, a sermon on, on marriage, these women were praying for this message. You didn't know that. <laughs> so we're going to see the example that is set before us, and God is saying, husbands, you can learn from Christ and the bride, his bride, how to treat your bride. Are you ready? All right. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. I already said, this is not a general love because that statement would not make sense if he's saying love the church in the same way you love everybody. No, he's saying the love that you have for your wife should be as special as the love that Christ has for the church. So Jesus loves the whole world, yes, but it's a special love Jesus has for the church that is beyond his love for the world in general. The things Jesus will do for the church, the things Jesus committed to, the sacrifices Jesus will make for the church, he won't make it for the world. Why? You're his bride. The world has an opportunity to be part of the church and experience that kind of love, but if they choose not to, his relationship with the church and his love for the church will always be second to none. So now we're saying what love looks like, how Jesus loved the church. Quickly, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and did what? He did what? So this church that is being dishonored, disrespected, being rejected, you say it's unnecessary, you don't need that church. He so loved this church 
that he was willing to give himself for it. What church did he give himself for? The perfect church? No. You know, sometimes we sit here and we say, well, you know, the church today, but it's not, you know, as though the church back then was perfect. Have you read the epistles? Do you know all of those letters that were being written dealt with all kinds of foolishness that was taking place in the church? Yet, that was his church, his wife. He gave himself for her, next verse, that he what? Might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by, so obviously she has some imperfections. The Bible will say later, he wants to present the church to himself without spot or blemish, which means there are some blemishes. Huh? He didn't change his mind. He didn't say, I didn't know you had those blemishes because when I saw you and we were dating, every time I saw you, your face was perfect. I mean, it was blemishless. Your hair always looked so full and plenty. Your teeth was always white and shiny. My goodness, everything looked so prim and proper, but what happened? <laughs> now I saw you naked and all the stuff that I, now I'm seeing some things I never thought it was, e yeah, where, where did that one come from? <laughs> I thought you had hair, but now I see you got none. I thought you had teeth, I see you only got a few. I thought you, <laughs> no, 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 he saw the imperfections. He wasn't pretending the church was what it was not. He saw it needed washing. He saw the church has blemishes and wrinkles. But instead of causing him to reject the church, criticize the Christ church, put down the church, that made him even more committed to do everything within his power to make the church even more beautiful and to bring out of the church her glory. Amen? So instead of turning away from the church when he saw problems in the church, he committed even more to the church and gave himself so that the church can be spotless. And notice, the Bible says he washes the church with the word. In other words, he uses his words to encourage the church. He uses his word to build up the church. He uses his word to make the church more beautiful. Amen. Men, learn from Christ how to treat your wife. We use our words to put them down. We use our words to point out their errors, their flaws, and all of that. Jesus uses his word to evoke their beauty, to build them up, to encourage them, to strengthen them. So when you're bad-mouthing the church, I want you to know Jesus doesn't join you in that. Don't think Jesus is sitting by and say, amen. That's right. Yeah, you're right, amen. In fact, you don't know everything. Let me tell you some other things. You think it's only this. He doesn't do that, though. He does what every man who loves his wife would do. Listen, my wife and I sometimes don't, don't keep it secret, though. I hope you're not recording for the whole world. My wife and I sometimes, we, we quarrel. Sometimes we fuss. Sometimes we even raise our voices. You didn't know that, right? Amen. But even if we had just fussed, 
and maybe I'm not even speaking to her. You know, I'm not quite like Jesus yet. I need to get like Jesus. <laughs> Amen. So he's still working on us, all right? But even if he, she and I had just had a heated argument, if you come up to her and you treat her with disrespect in my face, look, you and I, <laughs> no, 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 that's my wife. And even though we fuss, I love her. In fact, they tell you one of the most dangerous calls that police officers make is where there is domestic violence. Because the husband and wife are fighting and cussing each other, doing all kinds of stuff, and the police comes in and the wife turns on the police. Or the husband turns, you follow me? So, so the point is, when a man loves his wife, he does not enjoy, tolerate, or agree. And he will not support anyone who is disrespecting her or putting her down. Not in his presence. So don't, don't deceive yourself into thinking that when you're bad-mouthing the church, Jesus is saying amen. He uses his word to do what? Sanctify. Next verse. That he might present her to himself what? A glorious church. Not having spot or ring. She has this right now. But he's working on and working with her to make her better in every way. He's not condemning her for her flaws, rejecting her for her flaws, but encouraging her in the midst of it and using his words and his love to make her better. That he should be, that she should be what? Holy and without blemish. One day that is gonna happen. And then verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves him. So what is he saying? He's saying learn from Christ. Christ loves the church as though the church is himself. He withholds no good thing from the church. He gives everything to the church that the church needs and will even give his very life for the church. That is his bride. Last verse. Next verse. Is there verse 29? Now oh, there we go. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but does what? Nourishes and cherishes. So that is what Christ does. He does what? He nourishes, he nurtures continually the church and cherishes. Do you know what it means to cherish something? Is there anything you really, 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 really cherish? Well, Christ cherishes the church. He doesn't tolerate the church. He cherishes church. That's his bride. When you cherish something, you, 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 you never want to contemplate the idea of ever losing it. You want to hold it close. You want to keep it in your mind and your heart always. You want to have it with you. You cherish it. Christ cherishes the church. That's how he feels about it. The question is now, how do you feel about the bride of Christ? How many of you want to be like Jesus? Well, here's, this, here's the thing. If Jesus cherishes the church, loves the church, nourishes the church, never puts the church down but builds up the church, if he serves the church, gives his life for the church, is willing to die for the church, then the more I become like Jesus, the more my love for the church 
should be increasing. The more I love Jesus and come to know Jesus and become like Jesus, the more I'm willing to sacrifice for the church, serve the church, give myself to the church for the benefit of his body. And if I find my love for his bride diminishing because I see all the flaws among the members of the church, the more concerned I should be that I'm allowing myself to be deceived. And in this day and age, I'm allowing my love to wax cold. I need to resist that because that is not from the Spirit of God. I will end with one verse and I'm done. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 because in light of what I said, this is what should be our attitude. Verse 19, let's stand because I want us to read this together because this is my last verse and this is the call to action. Okay, I've, I've presented you with an argument and that argument is, behold how Christ loves the church and we are called to love the church even as he loves the church. I've given you hopefully a foundation for that. Now let's read verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. You know, the house of God, just another word for the church. He's the high priest over the church, all right? Verse 22, let us do what? Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful raise two hands to heaven. Say, Father, we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for you who promise, you are faithful. Next verse. And let us, and let us do what? Let us do what? Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So here is what he's saying. This should be our attitude towards the church that he loves. It's not perfect. There, there are blemishes. He is committed to working with the church until he will present the church to himself without blemish. In the meantime, we are to be cooperating with him, working with him to build up the church, not tear the church down. To, 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 to love the church, not hate the church. To edify the church, not criticize the church. He says, this is where you should be focusing now. Consider one another. Look at the people around you. They are flawed. They got shortcomings. They do stuff that they shouldn't do, but that's his bride. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Instead of criticizing them, rejecting them, not wanting to get involved with them, not wanting to work with them to build them up, staying away because you feel you can have your own relationship with me. He said, no, I don't want you to do that. That's what I want you to do. Consider. That means look at them with mercy, with compassion. And they ought to look at you that way as well, because I know you think you've arrived, but you really haven't. <laughs> I know you think, I know you think, oh, you got no blemish, but we know that's just makeup. 
because when the makeup come off, all of us got those spots. Am I telling the truth? So he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to consider, consider yourself that you're not perfect. Consider them, they're not perfect, but that's his pride. All right, consider one another, he says, and, and in considering them, what should you be wanting to do? Stir up love, in other words, speak in ways, act in ways, two things that will promote and encourage more and more acts of love and mercy and compassion among the brethren with one another. Stir up love and good works. And what are you doing when you're stirring up love and good works? That you're preparing yourself. The maiden, the church, is preparing herself for the coming of the groom. Now, hear me, if you're in the church, he's gonna come. But if we have prepared ourselves, then when he comes, we will bring glory to him. And that's what we want, right? That's why we don't play with sin. Yeah, that's why we want to live holy lives. Why? Because Not because my salvation depends upon that, because I'm in him, I'm saved. But because I want to make sure he's glorified. I, I told you about Eugene yesterday. You know what? If Olive has showed up in jeans and in her work clothes, I don't think Eugene would say, no, I don't want to marry you. They would have gotten married. And they would have been married. But when Eugene walked out, his glory would have been hidden. It was not going to be on full display. So he's coming, and if we're in him, we're going. But if we're stirring up love, good works, we're clothing ourselves, then he will be glorified. Are you hearing me? And then last verse 25, and this, listen to this, not, not everybody say not, 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 not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Too many, that's their manner. Because let me be honest with you, if that wasn't the manner of some, this house today would be full. Every seat will be taken. There are enough people in this church to fill this place three or four times. But as the manner of some is, we don't see the importance of gathering as the body of Christ. But how can you fulfill his instruction to stir up love, to stir up good works, to minister to one another if you're not present? How can you fulfill that instruction if you don't assemble with your brothers and sisters on a regular basis. But exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you do what? As you see the day, in other words, the closer we're getting to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the closer we're getting to that coming when the bridegroom is coming to get the bride, the more committed we should be to getting ourselves ready. And what he's saying, not you individually, but getting the bride of Christ ready. So we need to be coming together, praying together, worshiping together, 
loving one another, encouraging one another, rebuking one another, exhorting one another, strengthening one another. Why? Because we want to get the bride ready. Because the day is approaching. Now, if you are ready to take this exhortation seriously, if you're ready to put this into practice, if you're ready to treat the church the way Christ treats it, and to obey him in this matter, would you please just raise two hands to heaven, and I want you to talk to him in your own words. Just, just acknowledge the church. Acknowledge the love he has for the church. Acknowledge. 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 Come on, talk to him. Oh, thank you, Lord. Father, your people are willing. Now make us able. By your spirit working in us, make us able. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. To learn more about Bethel or to support this ministry financially, please visit us at www.bethelcityofhope.com. You can also connect with us via Facebook or Instagram at Bethel City of Hope. Thanks again. Have a great day.